So tonight I'm going to talk about abundance. And a couple reasons I'm going to talk about this. The principal one is that two days from now is the solstice, the summer solstice, the first day of summer. And this, of course, is a planet-wide geophysical event. Um, on the solstice, Earth's axis of rotation is tilted most, most steeply toward the sun, which means that we have the longest day of the year and the shortest night in the northern hemisphere, and then the opposite in the southern hemisphere. The southern hemisphere, they're going into winter. Um, if you've been noticing the points of rising and setting, both of them have been moving further and further north. So at this point, the sun rises in the northeast, does this big wraparound arc through the southern sky, and then sets in the northwest. And that's why we have such long days, because we're getting this big wraparound arc from the sun. Um, ancient peoples would watch the points of sunrise and sunset, track them very carefully, and they noticed that they would move further and further north, and then at a certain point they would, as it were, stand still and then start to come back. And the, the solstice, the word solstice actually comes from sun standing, sun, you know, the idea that the sun stands still and then comes back. Thursday will be, uh, well, how to say it, for everyone inside the Arctic Circle, on Thursday they will experience 24 hours of uninterrupted sunlight. And, and anyone who's unfortunate enough to be in the Antarctic Circle, which is basically Antarctica, would be experiencing 24 hours of uninterrupted night. I think the, the, the base at there is very lightly manned during the winter months. Um, mystics say that the first day of summer is the first day of winter. Because, of course, when we get to the high point, we start decreasing. So starting on Thursday, the length of day will be decreasing for the next six months. It's not, not a linear decrease. It, it changes very slowly at first. Then around solstice, the, the length of day is really dropping like a stone. And then it bottoms out in December. Um, that, that's called a sinusoidal curve for for those who are mathematically curious, one of the most beautiful curves in nature. And so certainly the solstice presents an image of abundance, a, a moment of abundance in this time of, in this cycle. And I'll also presence that today is Juneteenth. And, you know, it's wonderful that it's a, a national holiday now. Um, and that's a kind of abundance also, abundance, you know, a celebration, um, a celebration of freedom, which is a kind of abundance. And yet, a, you know, with that, the recognition that we have a lot of work to do before we're all really free. You know, we have a lot of work to do until we have a society that is truly beyond all the evils of racism. Uh, and so, again, this juxtaposition of abundance and scarcity or fullness and emptiness, you know. And to go back to um, back to the solstice for a moment, if you think of this, 
the whole cycle, the cycle of the year, the cycle of the day, moon phases, tides, um, all these are are the rhythms of nature. And and I want to begin talking about abundance by calling out what I think is a very human false idea of abundance. This idea that I could be always on, that I could be always at my best. You know, so if I get my, my shit together, then every single day I'll be at my best, you know. Um, and that's not what abundance looks like. That That's a weird head-level distortion, you know. The abundance of the moon is not that the moon is full every night. The abundance of the moon is how it beautifully comes and goes, you know. And it's just, it's very natural that we have our own ebb and flow cycles, you know. That there's days that we feel really clear and really on. And then there's days that we're totally foggy and confused and full of self-pity and, you know. Um, and that's part of what it is to be human. And, it, you know, so important to just be compassionate with the fact that we all have these ebbs and flows in our, in our energy. That it's, it's a completely unrealistic fantasy that, that I could just be consistently at my best every single day. Um, As some of you know, I'm a baseball fan, and I, I, I think of what the announcers say about pitchers, you know, because pit, any one day, a pitcher may have all his pitches working, you know, or may have none of his pitches working. And, you know, the day that the pitcher has all his pitchers wor- working, pitcher's probably going to have a very good game that day, you know. And a typical pitcher on a day when none of their pitches are working, usually they give up a lot of runs and they lose, you know. But the announcers often point out the truly great pitchers are the ones that find out find a way to win when they don't have their best stuff, you know. And you know, how do I have to live not so that I'm on every day, but even when I'm off, even when I'm not my best, I can still be authentic, still be compassionate, you know. So in order to talk about abundance, I feel like I should talk a little about scarcity. And there's a lot of scarcity thinking in society. I think we would, it would not be hard to find people on the street who would say, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough energy. I don't have enough money. I don't get enough love. I don't get enough respect. I don't get enough attention. All these are kinds of scarcity. And it may be that we ourselves say these things sometimes. Um, and a very natural way to react to feelings like this is by complaining, or in a stream case, you know, drama of some kind, you know. Why do you never pay attention to me? You know, this sort of thing. Um, or it can be this inward kind of resignation or giving up, you know. And all of these, I I think we all have our share. We all have our days when we have something like this. Um, 
I would call these infantile strategies in a, in a technical sense. Um, think about when we were infants. We had a really good deal when we were infants. You get to lie around, and if there's any problem, you just get to have a temper tantrum, and people magically come and satisfy all your needs. <laughs> like, it's a really good deal. <laughs> like, great work if you can get it, you know? Um, I think a lot of the, the, the mythological images of an early condition of paradise are, are in some ways a representation of how good we had it in infancy, you know, before we had choice, before we had consciousness. Um, and I think there's a way that part of us is very reluctant to let go of that good deal, you know? It's almost like when we're, when we're complaining, it's almost like part of us is expecting, well, if I just complain in the right way, someone's going to come and satisfy all my needs. You know, if I just engage in enough drama, you know, or if I'm in resignation, well, you know, no matter what I do, you know, the world is not showing up and satisfying my needs, you know, like, you know, poor me. And so abundance, in a way, is about growing up. And growing up is about embracing self-responsibility and rigorous self-honesty. And that's a scary thing to do. It's a scary thing for all of us, you know. But when we're really self-responsible and self-honest, we realize that all those kinds of scarcity that I mentioned, we have a, a significant degree of control with respect to any one of them. You know, I'll start with time. Our experience of time, and this is something I've said many times, our experience of time depends on the quality of our attention. When we're distracted, Time flies by, like we're somebody, we're somewhere else as the clock is still ticking, you know. And I think we've all had the experience of, I have a few things to get done, but then I get distracted and suddenly I look at the clock and, oh my God, how did it get to be so late? And I have all these things I need to get done, you know. And there, it's an experience of scarcity of time because I'm distracted. When we're truly present, time moves slower. And we're more able to attend. We're, we're there as time is passing. And we're more able to attend to every detail that needs to get done. We're more able to take care of small problems before they become big problems. That sort of thing. And so our experience of time is very much under our control. It's about refining our attention. Now, not enough money or not enough material resources, that one is interesting. And of course, we, you know, we, we all live in relation to a capitalist machine that, that likes us to think that we always need more, you know, this kind of thing. Um, it's such an important, um, it's such an important measure by which to look at ourselves to simply ask, what are my real needs 
and what are my fantasy-inspired needs? You know, because fantasy-inspired needs, that could be anything. Like, I, you know, I want the world, the stars, everything, you know. But what do I really need? You know? And I think in any situation, our real needs are relatively modest. You know, we don't actually need all that much, you know. If, you know, if, and again, if I'm listening to my fantasies, I need all kinds of things, you know. Related to this is, um, and this is something I've talked about before, the biology of hunger is fascinating. We have no doubt when we're hungry. No one has to teach us about hunger. We know hunger. Like from the time you're an infant, you are totally aware when you are hungry. You know, it's undeniable. But the opposite, the point of satiety, the point of having just enough, that's incredibly subtle. It's incredibly subtle to tune into when am I at the point of satiety? Because it's so easy to just blow right past it and then I've overeaten and then, then I'm stuffed. You know, you know, especially in a restaurant, the food is good and, you know, I'm talking and oh my God, I'm stuffed now, you know. Um, It's such a discipline to pay attention to where, you know, when, when do my body, when does my body reach satiety? When have I had just enough? And it's a subtle feeling and we can train ourselves to feel that, but it's very, very subtle. You know, so hunger is innate, but satiety is learned. And in a way, satiety is an art. And really that, in some sense, that's a model for all our needs, you know, with attention or affection or approval or any of these things. We're keenly aware when we don't have enough. Are we actually, it, it takes a certain amount of skill to recognize when we have enough and not too much, you know? You know, and also it's good with with eating, you know, just the question of when am I, when is my eating actually in response to biological hunger versus when am I emotionally eating? You know, when am I eating to satisfy some kind of emotional need? You know, and similarly, when am I buying because it's something that I actually need that I'm going to use versus when is it an emotional thing? Like I'm buying to make myself feel better, you know, you know, and just to notice these things. All the spirituality is just about noticing, noticing the things that we don't always want to notice. Now with, you know, the whole category of I'm not getting enough attention, I'm not getting enough love, I'm not getting enough respect, like those kinds of scarcity. What I've noticed in my own life is the more I give to myself, the less I'm hungry to get it from the outside, you know? The more I'm able to give attention to myself, and in particular, give attention to my deeply wounded places, 
you know, give serious, thoughtful, sustained attention, then I'm, then I'm finding myself not craving attention from the outside, you know. And similarly, the more that I love myself, the less I need love and acceptance from the outside. Love and acceptance from the outside becomes a, a nice-to-have rather than something I desperately need. And I'll say that the work of self-love is a very long road. I mean, um, I think it's about 10 or 12 years ago that I started to really intentionally work on self-love. And so I've been working on it for over a decade. I'm far from being an exemplar of self-love in any way, you know. But it, you know, in other words, it, it's a long road and it, and it requires discipline, requires that horrible C word, commitment, you know, all of that. And so certainly self-love and, and self-acceptance and attending to oneself well is a way to create a tremendous amount of abundance in life. Gratitude is, is miraculous for creating abundance, you know, to have a gratitude practice. Um, and then there's a whole other layer of abundance when we, about relating to the sacred. And in order to talk about this, I'm going to read a couple passages. These are passages from the Christian Bible, from the, from the Sermon on the Mount, which I often wind up quoting in Dharma talks. Sermon on the Mount is, I highly recommend it if you've never, if you're not familiar with the New Testament, um, Gospel of Matthew chapters 5 through 7 is called the Sermon on the Mount. And it's all these gems. It's kind of a compilation of like the the greatest hits of Christianity. Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor about your body, what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add one cubit to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O people of little faith? And then another passage. Well, first of all, that passage, I'll say, there, there's lots of ways to, to relate to that passage. I think I would say that we think about everything in, in nature, every animal, every plant, Everything is worth such profound appreciation. Every living natural thing, in a way, is a kind of miracle. And why do we think that we ourselves are any different? You know, like each one of us, in who we are in our core, is beautiful beyond all compare and is a miracle to be appreciated, you know. And what would it mean to live from that place 
of seeing oneself and seeing everyone else as a beautiful miracle, you know. Another passage in the, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks to the one who knocks it will be opened. Which of you, if your child asks for bread, would give her a stone? Or if the child asks for a fish, would give him a serpent? If you who are sinners know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And so, of course, it's passages like that 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 fuel a lot of the the New Agey stuff about law of attraction and um, you know the secret and all that. And I would say a lot of law of attraction falls into what Choi and Trumpa calls spiritual materialism. In other words, how can I use this spiritual stuff to get what I want? You know, to get get the stuff that I want, you know. I really think that the 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 deeper sense of ask and you shall receive. It's about asking to receive the deeper part of who we are. Ask asking for the deeper part of what it is for me to experience the world from my deepest self, you know. And of course, if I'm earnest in asking that, I will receive it, you know. And again, you know, discipline and commitment and all that. The Japanese word reiki, reiki, of course, is a kind of healing. And reiki literally means universal energy, universal chi. And the conception in Reiki and really in all schools of healing is that healing is this kind of ocean that is surrounding us all the time. And that all we have to do is open to it, you know. And sort of the irony of life is that we walk around miserable, walk around with, you know, I'm not getting enough love or enough attention, you know. And that sort of, I'm walking around in my trip and I'm not open to the healing energy that is all around me, you know. And healing and love are, are not different. They're almost more two sides of the same coin. Um, we're surrounded by divine love. And this, this is something that's very, it's mysterious to me. Um, course, more theistic traditions like Christians would say, well, it's the love of God, you know, this kind of thing. But we're really, each one of us is enfolded in an intimacy that we will never fully understand, you know, an intimacy that is, that is ultimately much deeper and much more fulfilling than any kind of human intimacy. And there's a a wonderful quote from Rumi. It's not on the quote sheet, but something along the lines of, you know, your job is not to um, to go out and find love. 
your job is simply to remove all the blocks in you that are preventing love from reaching you, you know, this kind of thing. So that in, in the, 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 the biggest view, I would say, is the abundance of the universe, the abundance of the healing and the abundance of the love that always surrounds us. You know, the, the abundance that is always there and all we have to do is be able to open to it. Of course, it could take our entire life to get to the point where we open to it, you know. So with that, I'll share the quote sheet. First, I'll share it with the Zoomies. So at the top of the quote sheet, I have the two quotes from the Sermon on the Mount, with the biblical references. A Sufi saying, abundance can be had simply by consciously receiving what has already been given. This wonderful one from Ramana Maharshi. We used to have a picture in here, a little framed picture of Ramana Maharshi, and I'm not sure what what became of it and all the shifting of stuff around, but he was a, a truly remarkable sage. He, Ramana Maharshi took a vow of silence when he was young and for decades he just meditated in silence till he had some kind of enlightenment experience. Then he gathered t- students around him and then he began, after decades, he, he began to speak again and to, to teach as an enlightened figure. But Ramana Maharshi said, quite simply, if you approach the ocean with a cup, you can take away a cup full. If you approach it with a bucket, you can take away a bucket full. (laughs) You know, it's like, how big is your container? You're surrounded by an ocean of love. How much can you take? You know? Antoine de Supere, the author of The Little Prince, said, how could there be any question of acquiring or possessing when the one thing needful for a man is to become and at last to die in the fullness of his being. Harold Lukes said, an act of love that fails is just as much as part of the divine life as an act of love that succeeds, for love is measured by fullness, not by reception. Brother David Stendhal Rost, who's like the, the... the living patron saint of gratitude. He said, love wholeheartedly, be surprised, give thanks and praise, then you will discover the fullness of your life. Wayne Dyer said, abundance is not something we acquire, it is something we tune into. Ann Dillard said, creation is not a study roughed in and, and rough, roughed in sketch, It is supremely, meticulously created, created abundantly, extravagantly, and in fine. Even on the perfectly ordinary and clearly visible level, creation carries on with an intricacy unfathomable and apparently uncalled for. A couple from Sarah Van Brechnath, she said, 
Today, expect something good to happen to you no matter what occurred yesterday. Realize the past no longer holds you captive. It can only continue to hurt you if you hold on to it. Let the past go. A simply abundant world waits. She also said, any self-prompt that reminds you to focus on flow, not ebb, contributes to your greater sense of abundance. You know, so it's a really interesting question. What are the self-prompts we give ourselves, you know? And are we asking ourselves questions or engaging in conversations with ourselves about scarcity or about possibility, you know? Presidential candidate Marianne Williamson said, as long as we remain vigilant at building our internal abundance, an abundance of integrity, an abundance of forgiveness, an abundance of servitude, an abundance of love, then external lack is bound to be temporary. It's a great question. What does it mean to live with an abundance of integrity? You know. Michael Beckwith says, there's a lie that acts like a virus within the minds of humanity. And that lie is, there's not enough good to go around. There's lack and limitation and there's just not enough. The truth is that there's more than enough good to go around. There are more than enough creative ideas. There's more than enough power. There's more than enough love. There's more than enough joy. All this begins to come true through a mind that is aware of its own infinite nature. There's enough for everyone. If you believe it, if you can see it, if you can act from it, it will show up for you. That is the truth. Andy Robbins said, quite simply, when you are grateful, fear disappears and abundance appears. Shai Tubali said, it is true that we need love, yet not so much to receive it as much more to give it. To know for sure we have it inside us in such abundance, to sense it as part of ourselves. And I think of those abundant words of the, the, the so-called prayer of St. Francis. It's not actually words of St. Francis, but he, he, you know, the, the prayer says, you know, O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. Incredibly abundant. Joshua Kai said, even the smallest shift in perspective can bring about the greatest healing. Alexandra Katakaris said, summoning gratitude is a sure way to get your life back on track. Opening our eyes to affirm gratitude grows the garden of our inner abundance, just as standing close, close to a fire eventually warms our heart. Craig's Lundsburn says, Abundance is not what you hold in your hand. Rather, it's what you have in your heart. And until we realize this, both will feel empty. Parn Maslow Ishram said, Abundance arrives in the physical world when the inner world is ready to receive it. When we give ourselves permission to experience abundance, it always shows up. And Jolene Stockman says, We might not have as much money as we want to give, but we have as much love as we can think of ways to give it out. Sweet words, considerate gestures, clicking send, hitting like, or sometimes even just staying quiet. Kind, when kind words are directed at someone who needs them, they can change the world. 